Today's episode is sponsored by By Heart, which is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. In our house, we never skim on family time together on the weekends. Instead of racing around crazy, we prioritize time at home, time to relax, time to do fun, crazy things that we wouldn't have ordinarily. And you know who else doesn't skim? By heart. By heart is the only American-made infant formula with globally sourced ingredients to use organic, grass-fed whole milk without a drop of skim. Whole milk is full of healthy fats like naturally occurring MFGM, which play an important role in baby's brain development and growth. Are you curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with codename Zibby20 for a limited time. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Todd Doughty is the author of Little Pieces of Hope, Happy Making Things in a Difficult World. Todd is currently SVP, Deputy Publisher of Doubleday, and has worked at Penguin Random House for more than two decades. A graduate of Southern Illinois University Carbondale and former bookseller, he lives with his partner in Westchester County, New York. Welcome, Todd. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss little pieces of hope, happy making things in a difficult world. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I have to tell you, I read this while getting over my booster shot sickness, which was terrible. And I was like, I need something to make me feel better. And I was like, oh, the perfect book. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm happy to, I'm sorry that you needed it, but I'm happy the book was there. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. And for the record, I have always had a porcelain cow creamer and it is one Uh of my favorite things since I was a kid. So anyway. (laughs) That got its own one page shout out. I know that. I know. I'm like, okay. (laughs) All right. I meant to bring it upstairs to this thing, but of course I forgot. But anyway. No worries. Okay. So first of all, tell listeners how this book came to be, your whole Instagram story during COVID and all of it. And and then we'll get into more stuff. But okay, sure. Absolutely. So you know, this the blame for this can be laid squarely, I say jokingly, at the feet of Metro North, which is our commuter rail here in New York City. I left the office on Wednesday, March 11th of 2020, which was the day that the WHO declared a global pandemic. And I was on the train and for some reason, it just struck me, and I wrote it directly into my Instagram, happy making things in a difficult world. And I started making a list of all of the things that brought me joy. And that was everything from, you know, fat goldfish, a really good burger, a really bad DJ at a wedding that becomes a really good DJ at a wedding, Eudora Welty's One Writer Beginnings, 
any movie of Catherine Hepburn's, but particularly her entrance in The Lion in Winter. And it was just this sort of hodgepodge list, again, as I mentioned, of things that had brought me great joy. And I posted it that day. And what I noticed was a lot of friends and family started commenting and people began to add their own happy making things. But what jumped out to me is there were a couple of strangers on my Instagram who commented as well. And I thought, well, there's something here. So I just kept going. And then I kept going and going and going. And it ended up resulting in this miracle that's happened, which is now this is a book out as of October. And it's just been, you know, a very good thing to happen during a very difficult time. It's a happy making thing in a difficult yeah. in fact. <laughs> it has been for me. And, you know, to see the reaction of folks and have that connection of, you know, like you spend your whole life getting recommendations from people. Like you have to watch this show or you have to go see this movie or you have to listen to this album, or, you know, and that there's a spirit of that in the book. There are over 3,000 individual happy-making things. The brilliant copy editors at Penguin curated the entire list of everything in the book, which was kind of you know mesmerizing and amazing when I saw it together for the first time. But those that read it will see, I list everything from feelings to memories to items to recipes, books, TV, you know, articles that I've read, you'll see things unfold in real time. You know, I would sit down at the on the couch every night. We watched Jeopardy. And then at about 7.30, I would start going down this rabbit hole of joy, as I liked to call it. And, you know, I carefully curated each list every day. It took about an hour and a half to two hours. You know, it would be sparked by something that meant a lot to me or something that I saw in the world around me that day. You know, we were home at that time, our office closed. But what happened was I began to to notice the world around me in a different way. You know, I say at the beginning of the book, each one of us is carrying an invisible bag of rocks. And we don't know how heavy it is, how big it is, you know, for that that other person. But I think that there are these little totems that have gotten you through your life. You know, the song that got you through, the movie that got you through, the book that got you through, the book that opened a door. So it's all these tangible things that meant something to me that I wanted to share with the wider world. And so many are ones that resonate. I mean, certainly with me, but I'm sure with lots of people, but (laughs) everyone can find their things in there. And I feel like, I don't know, I'm 45. So I feel like there were a lot of 80s, 90s, you know, all those references. Absolutely. Yes, I love this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are two dedicated 80s lists. Uh, I call them special editions. There's 80s special editions. There are holiday special editions, like Thanksgiving, graduation. You know, I also did 16 individual essays throughout the book. My brilliant editor Meg Letter said to me, okay, you know, we need 50% new material that's not on your Instagram, which I did. I made, you know, I stopped posting for a while and then I typed everything into the notes of my phone because that was easier. I wanted to try to not repeat stuff. People will see repeats of certain things like Jacqueline Onassis or <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda or, you know, various other things. But I tried to do little Easter eggs that if something was in there again, it had to be in a different way. So that was actually one of the really fun things to do. Wow. Plus, it's, it speaks to this whole mindfulness, you know, movement, if you will, right? That we have yeah. to be, we have to 
tap into the things that are making us happy and like put them front of mind. And like, instead of letting the chaos of today overrule the day, you know, you can like pick up a mixtape or, you know, you go into this book and you can look for two seconds, like, well, not to mention that you have lists, like things that make you feel better or whatever, things you might consider doing today, like all these things, but, but more are the, the moments, right? Go outside at dusk and listen to the bird song. Look at some old pictures that bring back happy times. Like you think about these things and then you have to stop in your tracks, right? You just have to. Well, I think that that's, that's very true, at least for me. You know, I'm, I'm not an expert, but I know that the world can be a scary place, whether it's an unprecedented global pandemic or it's a regular bad old day or it's a difficult time that you're having in your life. And I think that hope and optimism are important. I think that there have been times for myself when that has been hard to see. So, you know, again, it goes back to that notion of the things that bring you joy, the things that have changed your life. You know, there is an essay in the book about red velvet cake, which happens to be my favorite dessert of all time. And I'm here looking at a photo on the bulletin board in front of me of my late grandmother, who I worshipped and adored. She was an amazing human being. And behind her is her seven layer red velvet cake. You know, I, that sensory memory is always associated with her. And I think that all of us have that. I mean, you mentioned your porcelain creamer that you've had since a child. You know, there's a list, I believe it's a Thanksgiving list where I talk about the pile of coats on the bed, you know, at a family gathering. And I think those visceral moments tend to stay with us. And at a time when it might be difficult to see the good things, they are still all around you. And I think that that's important to remember. It's something that I certainly, I certainly clung to in the past 22 months now, you know. Has anything made you happy today? Happy today. Yes, I, I get a vanilla latte every morning. <laughs> nice. So that's my first happy making thing. I have done this thing where before I go to sleep at night, I try to think of five things during the day that I'm grateful for. And that's this is not, you know, big picture stuff. It's little things. And I think that one of the aspects of the book that can the reader can relate to is I say there may be things that you don't know about, a song you haven't heard, a painting you haven't seen, that I can lead you to that discovery. But that's no different than if someone does that for me. We share that connection. And I think, you know, at this time now, more than ever, that's very important. The book can be read straight through, of course, but I look at it as a daily devotional of delight. Like you can pick up and read a page, dip in, dip out for when you need it. That's another good subtitle, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> maybe for um, the uh, maybe for the next one. Save that. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping for a rip off page a day a calendar. So yeah. maybe we can use that. That would be great. But you know, I think that we all have struggled with moments of connection, and you know what I hope that the reader feels between the two of us is that there's a fine line between memory and discovery. So either I trigger something that you might love and share with me as well. Or like I said, I send you on a you know journey of discovery to find that painting or listen to that song or make that recipe. So take me back to how you got here. Like, how did you write the book, but also your career in book 
the book world? Like, what, sure. how did this whole thing start? Well, okay, let's start with the the publishing aspect. So I grew up in Southern Illinois, and I went to SIU, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, go Salukis. And <laughs> I came to New York when I was 16 years old on a church trip with our, for, through our Methodist church. And I told my mom when I got back home that I was going to move there. And she said, that's fine, but a- after you graduate from college. So my best friend and I graduated on a Friday. We packed up a U-Haul on a Monday in May of 1995. We were here by Tuesday. So that was literally how I got here. So I've lived there and here. As you know from that first list and throughout the book, New York is a great love of my life. And I've been very, very lucky. I was a bookseller for a couple of years at Walden Books on Wall Street. And my friend Jerry Krasner, her best friend Amy Edelman, both are who are both who are in the acknowledgments, they you know, Amy is was the managing edit, editor, I believe, at Random House at the time. And there was an opening in the publicity department for the executive director, Carol Schneider, and who's a legend in the business. And Amy told Jerry, and Jerry said, you can talk to a wall and you love to read and you should go for this job. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and I had never worked in an office before. And somehow I tricked those people into hiring me. And it has given me my professional life for the past 23 years. So for a kid who grew up a book nerd in rural Illinois, whose library was a haven, you know, it's it's been quite honestly just a blessing in my life. I've been very, very lucky. And that extends to the book as well. You know, when I started this, It was one individual list. And as I mentioned earlier, I just kept going. You know, friends began to percolate and say, you know, this is a book, don't you? And I didn't at the time. It was really just that daily escape that I was looking for. But then we put the book together. Brittany Bloom from the book group is my agent. Yeah, she's amazing. She saw it as a whole. And we we are we're with, with the folks at Penguin. And Meg Letter is my brilliant North Star editor there. And so I work in publicity, you know, and for those who don't know, who might be listening, that is the caboose of the publishing train. You know, the writer <laughs> writes the book, the editor buys it, the cover is designed, the it, the book is edited, it's typeset, sales sells it in, and then publicity and marketing come in at the end of the life of the book. So what happened for me was I was on the other side of the publishing fence. So I was actually able to see the train being built, if that makes sense. And it was a remarkable experience, you know, from everything. Josie Portillo did all of the beautiful art on the gorgeous cover and throughout. Sabrina Bowers is the genius designer who created the actual look of the book. So it was a truly collaborative experience and it it was just amazing. And again, I, I cannot say this enough. I know how lucky I am to have this exist and truly grateful. So what was it like then having to do publicity for your own book? It's a little weird. I will admit, <laughs> you know. Did you make the whole plan? Like, how did you do it? No, I have an amazing team at Penguin, uh, Rebecca Marsh, Sarah Delosier, and Libria Kasher, and they are the geniuses behind all of the launch. And they've been a remarkable, they've been remarkable in their work and just their collegial spirit. And I owe it all to them. You know, for me in publicity, so what happens is when you see an author 
on the Today Show or you read an article online or they list, are listening to me or others on your podcast, which is still very weird for me to say, <laughs> you know, a publicist has helped arrange that, you know, back in before times. And we're getting into this a little bit more now when you go to events in person at a bookstore, a publicist has arranged that with the store. So we are really the, the responsible for the launch and the life of that book in the media sphere, in, in the bookseller sphere, in terms of events only. And so to be on this side of it is quite bizarre. You know, I'm a behind the scenes guy. So to this day, it's still a little bit surreal. So would you change your things that you do on the publicity side now that you've seen what it's like on the author side? I don't know that. I would call it change, but I have a newfound and newfound respect is the best way to say it because I had never written a book before. So I didn't know how to do this, right? Like the act of just sitting down and doing it every day is so very important, but then putting it together and how do you shape it? And, you know, a lot of that credit goes to Meg because she was the one to say, we'll include the eight different playlists that are in the book. We'll include the 16 essays, as I mentioned earlier. We looked at all of the pacing in the book. The reader will see, you know, we pulled out groupings for one page or we pulled out individual items for a page. I think that that aspect of creating it was something I didn't quite fully understand. The best way I can describe it is there is a toy in a box in your home. And every day you go over to the box and you take the toy out and only you play with the toy and you derive joy from playing with the toy. And let's say it's an hour, it's two hours, and then you take the toy and you put it back in the box and you close the lid and the toy and the box have nothing else to do with the rest of your life, right? So then that's the actual aspect of writing. And then when you get it to get, if you're lucky enough and, you know, to have a book published, which, you know, is a miracle. And again, I'm still very grateful for that. You know, you then begin sharing the toy with other people and then the toy gets sent out into the world when it's published. And I've seen that for 23 years, but I didn't understand the mechanics behind it. And I would say that's kind of the biggest lesson that I've learned, which just shows that, you know, I'm old (laughs) and I could still learn new things. Okay. We can't bubble wrap our kids to keep them safe. But we can give ourselves some peace of mind now with the Life360 app, which I am obsessed with. I first heard about this from a girlfriend at a party who told me that this was the app to use. So I got it. And now I am obsessed. It's a family connection and safety app that lets you track the people and things that are most important to you. And it's much more than sharing location. It is about safety. It keeps families connected and protected throughout the day. Plus, it helps you find your things. So I have tiles, one of which I put on my phone, which I lose 100 times a day, and I can find it through the app whenever I lose it. Also, it lets me put in locations of interest. So I get alerts when my kids reach school after taking the bus or when my husband gets to LA or whoever you want to track. You can do it with Life360 and feel very protected and safe and it makes life better. It makes peace of mind better. Life360 has my family's back when they're on the road, and I can track their stuff too if I need to. Plus, of course, it's a lifeline during emergencies because you can have crash detection to know if one of the kids is in an accident and with two almost 
driver's license kids, that is super important to me too. So put away the bubble wrap and protect your loved ones with Life360. Visit life360.com or download the app today and use code BOOKS, B-O-O-K-S, all caps, to get one month of the gold package for free, plus 15% off all tiles. That's life360.com, code BOOKS. Yes. Actually, I think this time of life, I've learned more than I did for like the 20 previous years. <laughs> I feel like I've learned more in the last four years than, I don't know, certainly the previous decade put together. Certainly the past 22 months have been a very eye-opening time as well. Interesting. So aside from the calendar, do you did this now make you think like, okay, well, now that I've gotten a taste of being on the author side, this is definitely like, I want to have this happen again. Like, are you liking it? And like, do you have more books in you? Or were you like, okay, this, I didn't even mean for this to happen necessarily. I'm delighted it has, but now like back to my day job type of thing. Oh no. I mean, I, this has just been an an amazing, incredible experience. I mean, I think that, you know, one, one thing that happened is I turned the book in about a year ago at the beginning of October, and then we went through rewrites and copy edits and things like that. But for the most part, I've kept posting lists. I saw that. Um, I know. Yeah. Very recent. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the last one was about a week ago or so. I've been a little less sporadic uh, or uh, sorry, uh, I've been a little more sporadic as opposed to daily but I, I did keep going because it was just fun for me. You know, that was great. I mean, I, I joke about a page a day calendar. I'd love to have that happen. You know, one of the things that I say early in the book, though, that there might be things that readers don't like. So just cross them out and add in your own. You know, you too can make your own daily lists of happy making things. So you can do a journal? Do a journal? Sure. You know, but like everybody could do that on their own as well. You don't need me to guide you. I think that the way that you see things in the world around you each day can inspire that. Well, I also think you could turn your cover into some wallpaper. (laughs) Well, that credit all goes to Josie and Brianna Hardin, who designed the jacket. They did an incredible job. You know, it's just this burst of yellow with some of the happy making things from the book. I'm looking at it right now. You know, there are peeps, there's a slice of cake, there's an actual mixtape, there's a bicycle with a basket on it, jukebox, a Wurlitzer, pink flamingo. And, you know, it's, it's so fun to see. I went into a bookstore for the first time on pub day and to see it there in person was just a shock. But yeah, it, the cover itself is just this sort of burst of joy. Can you go back to being the book nerd who took, who found Haven in libraries when you were a kid? Tell me more about that time. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know, the essay on summer reading talks about, you know, me as a kid and finishing up chores so that by one o'clock that I could head to the library. You know, the Carterville Public Library was a haven for me. When you walked in the kids section back in the day was on the left, on the right was the magazine rack. And then the stacks behind the librarians were amazing people who opened many new doors, windows, and worlds to me. At that time, you could pick a topic and then request it. And then the county library would photocopy all of these articles and bring them back to you on whatever topic you would choose. So I'm a bit of a pack rat. I don't have some of those articles from my childhood, but I have saved things over the years actually made their way into the book. You know, but I'm still a book nerd to this day. You know, there are, our apartment is packed full of books. They have brought me such joy professionally and personally, you know, 
a friend of mine recently talked about, like, think about that person who handed your favorite book to you or how you found it and what that moment means to you in your life. And, you know, Doris Larson is my former second grade teacher who read us the poetry of Shel Silverstein. I still have all three of his books from my childhood. My uncle Dennis gave me from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil Lee Frankweiler. I have my childhood copy. The dust jacket is a little bit worn and torn, but I met Mrs. Konigsberg totally accidentally at a charity event years ago. And as I mentioned in the book, it's like this static line of children are lined up in front of her and then it spikes with me at the end, you know. But I think that if you if you are a reader, you have those books that have followed you along. I wrote like a whole memoir about this. It's coming out next summer. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's like, great. Yeah, it's like all the books that, because I, I remember life in terms of like what I was reading like where I read certain things, sure. how this book helped me, you know. So I just wanted to like sort of an homage to those books with my. Oh, I love it! Can't wait around, to read but... that. Yeah, I remember sitting in a hammock outside of our. We lived in a trailer in in college for a year, and I strung a hammock between the trees. And I remember reading The Witching Hour there, which is one of my favorite books of all time by Anne Rice. If you haven't read it, get that and The Mummy Stat. You know, you know where you were when those things meant something to you. I don't know if you read Ann Patchett's book. I just interviewed her yesterday, so I have it right here, and I keep yeah. talking about it for these precious days. But, you know, she says it's not like the book journey is sort of not complete until you've then recommended it and given it to somebody else. I think that's so true. You know, that book is fabulous. She is one of my favorite writers. I was lucky enough years ago, I worked with John Grisham, and we did an event at Parnassus in Nashville, and I took my first edition of Bel Canto, and she graciously oh, wow. signed it. But it is true. I mean, she's right. You know, that circle is complete. And, you know, the reward is if someone loves it as much as you do. I mean, I, I have this thing where I say, if someone tells me a book that they're reading that I loved, I say, I'm so jealous that you get to read it for the first time, like to yeah. go back and do that again, because you'll never have that experience again. It's true. It's true. Oh, so what are you reading now? Anything good? You know, one of the things that I fell in love with during the pandemic were Louise Penny's mm-hmm. mystery novels, starting yeah. with Still Life, which is great. We are publishing Hanya Yanagihara's new novel to Paradise in January, which is a masterpiece. You know, the to be read pile is a mile high. I have Robin Hobbs, The Assassin Apprentice, which I've never read. A colleague of mine was just telling me, um, Patrick Rothfuss. Rothfuss is an amazing writer and I need to read his series. So it's never ending. How about you? Don't put me on the spot like that. I'm like, what do I have coming up next week? (laughs) I basically, I have so many things I want to read that I put them, like I read them based on when I'm doing the podcast about them. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So I have to finish Alison Larkin, The People We Keep. Uh LA Weather. Actually, I read that already. Maria Eskandon. Do you have a a particular way that's your favorite type of reading? I don't mean device, but like a place or time. Do I have a favorite place or time where I like to read in bed (laughs) before before I go to sleep or really all day? I mean, that would really (laughs) like, (laughs) yeah. What about you? Well, you know, now that we're back in the office, I like to read on the train, on the commute in. You know, it's sort of uninterrupted time. I like to read before I go to bed, too, but I usually conk out pretty fast. So that dedicated commute time has always been great to me. I just listened to Benjamin Elire Sands' Aristotle and Dante sequel, which I loved. 
So I, I, I don't do a lot of audiobooks, but it's something I'd like to start up again now that the commute is there. Yeah. I mean, in a dream world, I would read like, you know, on a chaise lounge with the ocean, like laughing at my face, you know. <laughs> of course. Like, floppy hat that like never gets squashed in a suitcase, you know. That and, is like, very totally, specific. Totally different body, perhaps, <laughs> but the same books and, and books that just never ended. So that would be great. Sure. <laughs> what advice would you have for aspiring authors? What advice would I have? Well, I think the act of sitting down and taking the time to write every day cannot be underestimated. You know, it's one thing to have a deadline. Again, I had never done this before, so the deadline helped. But, you know, this really did begin on a train. But after that, every day we were home. And like I said, I would sit down on the couch for an hour and a half to two hours every night to really focus and curate each one of these lists. You know, when you read them, some of the items are connected, some of them are zigzag, but they're all carefully, carefully curated for the reader. And just that act of sitting down and making time for yourself to go play with the toy out of the box is very, very important. You know, I think, yeah, I think that's what I, what I would, what I would say is the most important thing to me, make the time. I also love that you think of writing as playing you know, like playing with a toy. I mean, not that you necessarily, like just that image, your analogy, right? Like, cause there has to be some joy to it in, it, in the act in and of itself, wherever the, wherever the writing goes. Sure. And I think that that applies to, you know, any activity like in life, you know, if cooking is your thing, if sports is your thing, if reading is your thing, if writing is your thing, painting, whatever that may be, quilting, anything that is, an activity and a hobby, a passion, a pursuit, you know, it requires that time. And, you know, again, this is the first time I've ever done it, but that was very important to make this happen and, and actually get it done. You know, again, the deadline, the deadline, the looming deadline helped, but just the act of every day sort of sitting down and going into that place was a very good thing. Amazing. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. I feel like I read about it in Publishers Marketplace or something. Like when I first heard about it, I was like, oh my gosh, I know him. He's, like, <laughs> he's from my inbox, you know? So um, anyway, I was like so excited to see you being on the other side. So anyway, it was awesome. Oh, well, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. And I thank you for having me today. <laughs> of course. All right. Have a great day. All right. You too. Thanks, Sibby. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 